The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today from the pulpit to the pew. We want to thank you all for downloading this episode of Setting the Record Straight. My name is Gordon Runyon. And I have called up a smarter friend of mine, <laughs> Dr. Jason Garwood, and we're going to talk about a topic that may not appeal to the broadest uh, subsection of Reconstructionists, but uh, for me it's fascinating, and I think for preachers in general it might be as well. So, uh, kind of apologize in advance if we're talking a little bit of inside baseball here. But uh, anyway, Jason, thanks for coming on with me. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a blessing. Of course, I don't feel like I'm coming on your show because we do the same thing together. No, right. If nothing else, this proves my ingenuity in getting you to uh, do most of my setting the record straight episode for me. <laughs> Hey, uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about preaching, and for several months, kicking around in my own mind, I've been thinking about what it means to preach as a Christian Reconstructionist, and specifically this idea about how should a Reconstructionist sermon differ from, say, a more run-of-the-mill Reformed Baptist sort of sermon and I'm wondering, is it just that the theology of it will be different, or is it just that the emphasis on application will be quite a bit different, or is there something structural? And these are ideas that are just kind of going around in my mind. And frankly, uh, I'm not blowing smoke here. You're one of my favorite guys to listen to as a preacher, and and uh, so you were the first name that kind of came to mind as somebody I'd like to just sit down and kind of bat this back and forth a little bit. Yeah, well, I'm definitely honored. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is exciting to talk about something that we both we both love doing, you know. And well, exactly. Uh, when I talked to my lovely wife about this episode, she asked me, uh, 
so you think you'll have enough content? And I was like, are you kidding me? You got uh, two preachers getting together to talk about preaching. And uh, I think I think we'll be fine. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> okay, so I wanted to kind of start out before we get uh, reconstructionist about it. I'm curious to hear if you could kind of talk about what your typical sermon preparation looks like during a kind of normal week. Yeah, I, it's so different now because before I was in a larger established church and, you know, sort of had a set schedule, office, you know, an office there at the building. And when we moved to Virginia to Flint Crossing Crown, it sort of <laughs> changed very quickly. Right. I'm, I'm working two different businesses. I have a part-time job. I'm pastoring. You know, we're doing a lot of, you know, college outreach, agitation stuff. I really had to figure out a way to change my my approach. And so I guess really what changed is I had to start thinking a little bit more ahead maybe than I had before. Okay. And sort of know more what's coming down the pipeline, what are the topics I want to cover. And, and so a lot of my, I'm always thinking ahead, you know, trying to figure out what, what do we need to talk about, you know, keeping in touch with current events and things like that, which I'm sure we'll get into later. Right. Um, yeah, now, now it's really, you know, our gathering is on Sunday night. Um, every other Monday, you know, the guys are getting together, or the girls uh, are a part of our, our church here, our fellowship. And and so Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm already working, you know, I'm working a part-time job and right. 12-hour days or more those days. And so I really only have Monday, Wednesday, Friday for study, prep, you know, like I said, I'm always thinking ahead, always sort of perfectly considering what what should be next. And so usually, though, I'll try to try to I manuscript. So I don't know. I'm curious what you do, Gordon. Uh, yeah, for manuscripting, I notice just because I'm working a full time job myself and and uh, writing is hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> so generally I just take a I just take a outline into the pulpit. Okay. Well I wouldn't know that it was hard given your fantastic little book on Romans seventeen. Oh well thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I, I prefer I prefer a manuscript mostly because A, I'm really trying to sort through my thought process and my Oh argument. yeah. Sure. And but usually by the time I'm ready to deliver, I, I know it. <laughs> I know I'm right. with it, so I'm able to, you know, sort of lean on it, but, but also trust what I've already written, trust that God's Spirit has already moved me. And Right. And, uh, but for my week, usually, yeah, I mean, by Friday, I try to have that sermon written. And um, lately, we just moved <laughs> three weeks ago to a house, 10 minutes away. Uh, oh, wow. And... and I had my parents and visiting in town and some other friends, so it's been like hectic. And so I really found myself really just having to um, hunker down, you know, on a Friday night at eleven o'clock or something. Oh wow! And yeah. and just write and yeah. And I think that's the beauty of preaching, though, is you're sort of like God. Hopefully, is working on the preacher and moving him, and the Spirit has convicted him. Sure. <laughs> you know, so all of that's there sort of bubbling up, if you will, by the time I sit down to write on it, you know, at the keyboard, I'm ready to go. Yeah. 
yeah, do you notice, or is it, uh, I'm guessing just because of my own experience that, uh, well, I'll just say what, you know, my job has me isolated from people all day long. There are days when I don't talk to anybody. And, uh, and so I notice that those hours are best spent in prayer and meditation. And there are times that I believe that sermon preparation takes place, you know, while I'm at work and, and meditating on the, on the text at hand and the topic. And I just kind of wonder if with all the jobs you're doing, is this kind of something that you're tossing around in your head, even, you know, when you're not officially doing sermon prep or are you stewing in this all week or what? Yeah, usually I would agree with you on that. I think that's, I mean, that'll tie into what we'll talk about I'm sure later with the reconstructionist approach to it. But right. yeah, for me, I'm definitely trying to stir on it, trying to stew over it, sort of let it marinate. And honestly, Gordon, I think, I think one of my favorite things is to preach after a week where we've either been at the abortion clinic or been on, we go to George Mason University a lot. Yeah. Um, like, that's my favorite, because then it's like, you know, the application. <laughs> you know, I've been there. Yeah, I got yeah. yelled at by a, you know, an angry woman. <laughs> yeah, guy. for sure. You know, they're all, and, uh, and it, it, just a couple weeks ago, we went last week, and I walked right up, and she was a professor of something, I can't remember now. She was angry and yelling, and I was trying to, you know, be patient and right. persuade her with the gospel, and... And uh, so I, I just was thinking about that in light of our sermon series we're doing now on humanism, that, you know, it's right there in front of us. Absolutely. So, yeah. so it makes the application easy. Yeah, and, and I've I've noticed that kind of what you're saying reminds me of the fact that, you know, when we have been out there doing those sorts of things, that there's a little bit of added extra fire underneath me when I get up to preach that next Sunday. And uh, just because of that same thing, you feel like you've been through the war. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that you kind of, you, you've been forced to kind of start thinking ahead more in terms of topics. And I just wonder I was curious about that in your situation before, like when you were working full time as a pastor and, and had much more time for study and stuff. Uh, were you the sort of guy that would kind of plan out topics for preaching beforehand or this is kind of a new thing? Or Yeah, I, I guess I kind of did. But, you know, working in sort of the MIC context, you know, all right, here's Easter, you know, that's like the Super Bowl Sunday. Right. And, you know, and then you have Christmas. You know, Christmas is coming up. You know, you know we got to do a Christmas series. So there's kind of these, like, expectations. Right, right. And I didn't, I didn't always do a Christmas series, you know, but there's nothing wrong with doing one. But, you know, you kind of have an expectation of what's there. And, and for me, I, I, I guess I would plan, like, six months out sort wow. of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so there's that too of trying to bring people along so they understand the worldview and, you know, 
teaching um, a bunch of dispensationalists about post-millennialism can be challenging. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> it will get you fired, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely as far as planning, I sort of knew what was out there. Um, but with this, though, it's just different. And, I mean, we'll get into that, I'm sure, in a little bit. But it's been a little bit different planning ahead because I, I really not only am assessing, like, what do we need to talk about as a fellowship, but also, what are the things that we need to address that the church isn't addressing at all? Right, right. You know, so. Yeah, I think that's a huge big deal. Well, as I've listened to you preach, I think I have an answer for this, but I wanted to ask you, is is there a sermon structure that you prefer or uh, one that you're aiming at? I mean, trying to diagnose what the bones are of your uh, kind of generic Sunday to Sunday sermonizing. Uh, is there a is there a structure that you kind of fall back on or feel comfortable with, or is it just kind of different from week to week? Well, from from all of my regardless of all my uh, uh, my disagreements with Tim Keller, yeah, I believe I believe he said one time, you know, you need to preach about three hundred sermons before you kind of find your groove. Sure, yeah, <laughs> and I've you know long surpassed that. <laughs> like I, I do have my groove, and I do sort of know how I'm going to structure it. You know, that's unique to me because we're all different. Right, right. You're going to preach the way you preach because that's the way God structured you and me, vice versa. Yeah. And and as far as the bones, yeah, I mean, usually, like, I, I don't spend 45 minutes explaining Greek words. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, and... I wouldn't listen to you if you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think they're helpful. I think, you know, language is really important. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that's solid. I think that's solid. Uh, okay, well, let's let's dive in more to Christian reconstruction and preaching because I think you and I have, when we started talking about this, we kind of immediately started running into examples of the negative and what we're really seeking to avoid, and. And part of that comes under the guise of what's called expository preaching. But as I've as I've done some looking into it here recently, I think that 
I think that all biblical preaching should be expository in the sense that we're getting we're getting the message from the scripture and and we're not going to the scripture to justify what we already think and and so in that sense I think we would agree that we need to be expositors we need to be bringing out the truth of the bible but right. within a segment of reformed churchianity these days and especially I'm thinking of uh Michael Horton and Westminster West and the White Horse Inn podcast and things like this, expository preaching has come to mean something more specific than that, where uh, now they're talking about almost mandating the use of what's called the historical redemptive hermeneutic, where every sermon has to be about Jesus properly speaking. And so you get things like the Good Samaritan parable really being about Jesus. Jesus is the Good Samaritan, and it's not so much about what it means to love your neighbor. And and you get things like David and Goliath is really about Jesus conquering sin and death in our lives and and not about introducing the King of Israel. And 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 so what you really wind up with, with this kind of demand and calling it expository preaching, it's really very allegorical and turning everything in the scripture into this, uh, a picture of Jesus, whether it was meant that way or not. And, and I'm all for preaching Christ wherever he is, but this idea that it's wrong to preach the good Samaritan as a, as a teaching of what Christ actually expects us to do, because that's some form of moralism or something like that. Uh, I think that bugs both of us. <laughs> and, yeah. and you've run into a couple of bad examples specifically recently. Maybe you'd like to bring up one of those. Is one of them on your mind? <laughs> well, yeah, two of them are. I'll just say one now. Maybe we'll save it later as a teaser. But uh, okay. one of them was uh, a gentleman who he runs a big conference every year. So all the top names, speakers in the reform world go there. And and he just made a comment about, like, look, you, you really, I'm paraphrasing, but look, you shouldn't be preaching about Kavanaugh. Right. You shouldn't, you, you, you shouldn't talk about him. Because like, our hope is in Jesus. Our, our, you know, we're supposed to be heavenly-minded and focus on things above. <laughs> right. Right. I, you sent me that link, and I saw, and that wasn't the only time I saw it. He said something like, all my fellow expositors out there, I know you won't be talking about Kavanaugh in your sermon. <laughs> and wow. <laughs> couldn't possibly come to a text that the application would fit, this, you know. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> there's nothing in the Bible about how uh, leaders of the people should act or, or bearing false witness or, or uh, anything about you know, biblical justice when it comes to accusations. There's nothing in like that anywhere in the Bible. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'll tell you this, Gordon, too. Like, I, the, the whole gospel-centered movement, that it's sort of fading out. It used to be sort of that junk tour term. It, it really came on the heels of everybody talking about the missional thing. Oh, yeah. And everything's gospel-centered, gospel, you know, gospel-centered, you know, pajamas. <laughs> right, right. And, and and it was this sort of false antithesis anyway about how how we're supposed to go about preaching and, and living your life. And, and honest to God, truth, like I was told by, by some folks in that genre, like your job 
your sanctification process is to just think about the gospel. <laughs> right. Right. Like, that's it. It's all God expects for you to do. You're feeling lonely? Think about the gospel. Right. Now, thinking about Jesus and talking to him in prayer and reading his word and hearing from him and the Holy Spirit prompting you, and I mean, those are all, those are beautiful things. And so I'm not knocking that. Right. It's sort of this dumbed-down version, and then it spills over into preaching, whereas, you know, it, it becomes just this, um, we, we have to, to give the gospel message, which in a lot of fundamentalist-type churches, it usually just means sort of an appendage, you know, appendage to the end right. of the sermon. Right, that's right. Oh, now if you believe in Jesus, raise your hand. <laughs> right. And I think that's gospel. Right, or you've spent an hour railing against alcohol, and now for the last two minutes of the sermon, you invite people to come to Christ. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it seems to me that that sort of thing really, and I don't want to cast out a blanket aspersion here, but it seems to me that I see people using that just preach the gospel thing as a, as a cloak and a shield that protects them from having to speak about anything controversial. And, and so that when you, when you speak, for instance, about the eighth commandment and thou shalt not steal, then their, their application is merely personal and, and telling people in the pews that, and this means, Hey, you shouldn't be stealing stuff, but, but, it never goes beyond that. The application never gets outside the church walls or outside the walls of the of the home or, you know, it never gets into society. Like, what does, is it possible for government to steal? And, and if it is, how come that's good? And, and uh, it does seem to me that this just preach the gospel thing lets pastors off the hook from paying attention to what's going on in the culture and the wider society and and speaking to things that may divide their churches and uh, of course that's that's a huge big deal for a lot of pastors i guess yeah yeah and i i can't i've had this conversation with several people but i think this has been said in various ways especially in our circles you know if america you know, was miraculously converted all all of America just overnight. Right. People wake up, they're regenerated, and they love Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> what most, I mean, the church leaders today, they wouldn't know what to do with that. Right. How do we structure our society? What should we do? <laughs> they wouldn't know. No, that's yeah. that's that's totally true. Totally true. Yeah, they wouldn't have any idea, and, and so that's why it's not being preached from the pulpit because they don't know, and. So they kind of concoct all these, you know, cute theological reasons. Well, I'm an expositor. <laughs> right. That's it. That's it. Well, I was at a, I'm still in the Southern Baptist denomination, and I was at a regional uh, association meeting a couple of years ago, and, and one of the hot young pastors was tasked to preach to all the pastors and leaders and stuff, and, and uh, he was he was kind of given a state of the union sort of speech about what's going on in our churches. And I don't think I'll ever forget it. This is nearly a quote. I didn't write it down, but here's what he said. He said, uh, our churches are hopelessly divided over politics and I have no idea how to fix that. And, uh, 
And I sat there stunned. I don't think I heard another word he said. <laughs> Can you believe that? And uh, so I bought him, I, I bought him uh, DeMar's book on God and government. I think that's what it was. And I don't know what he's done with it, but <laughs> a little, little note like, I think you can do better than that, brother. If the Bible speaks to a topic, you know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to preach on it. And so, uh, well, I will say this, Gordon. Like, I, for me, this is a humbling thing because I, a lot of these arguments I hear, like, I used to say them. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I used to say, like, no, we're supposed to just preach Jesus and exposit the scriptures. We can't get tied up in all these other issues. And I, I you know, I'm sure I adamantly defended that to people <laughs> over and over again. And how did that, did that change gradually? Or was there one thought in particular that kind of flipped the switch for you? Or? Well, once I read Bonker, it was all downhill from there. <laughs> oh, yeah. He'll, <laughs> he'll find a way to bulldoze you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you start to actually see a baseball of life. Yeah, right. What do, you, do we really mean all of life? You know. Sure, I think uh, you've provided me a really great segue there because I was thinking a lot about is there a is there a style of sermon or is there you know because if you take a preaching class they'll they'll break down the different types of sermons there are between what they're calling expository and topical and textual and uh, narrative or, or whatever else, what other category they come up with. And it's been on my mind about, is there a, is there a style of sermon that more, more often lends itself to Christian reconstructionist preaching than another style? And I was thinking about what Bonson said or what he was fond of saying about how the job of the apologist is to keep pushing the antithesis and that this is what we always need to be doing. And so I thought about th that the reconstruction is pastor's job or the preacher's job needs to be to keep preaching the antithesis. And uh, the guy who's, messages kind of come up in my mind that way is our friend Bojadar and uh I don't know if you've heard his sermons on sermonaudio.com but I've noticed that yeah. he uh he kind of has a strange structure to his preaching and and often what he will do is begin the sermon with a question or a statement or a challenge that comes from some form of idolatry in the culture thinking of the one that he preached to the abolitionists in Texas a couple of years ago, uh, where he talked about, he talked about the leftists taunting the Vietnam veterans and stuff like that. You lost in Vietnam and you're losing here. And, and another sermon he preached at sermon audio, I think the, the whole thing was titled, is there a Christian way to fly an airplane? And, and so what Bojadar will do is he'll take these challenges or these questions from the bad guys and then spend the rest of the sermon explaining what the truth is and, and how the Bible answers that question. And, and, and it seems to me a very effective way of preaching that antithesis and showing where the line is and, and showing why we are right. I just kind of wondered if you had 
given any thought to that or or how that strikes you yeah yeah i think it's i think it's fantastic and it's brilliant because what's happening too i think in that is you're already sort of setting the stage for the application <laughs> yeah right you just set it up on a tee because I, and I just said this well i preached um uh two days ago on socialism and yeah doing the humanism series and and I wanted people to know, I sort of painted a sketch, thanks to Paul Johnson, of Karl Marx. Um, and just, you know, the, the sort of, like, here's a guy who, you know, I think one time he tried to get a job once. <laughs> just off of people, he's lazy. Right. You know, like, to, he was angry, sort of thing. And, and here's a guy who has quite literally opened the door to nearly 100 million yeah. Thanks to communism, you know. Right. And so I, I think when you when you sort of make those applications for people, or at least sort of open the door and, like you said, push you're you're sort of laying the antithesis out. Yeah. I think that's when people like like bolts go off. You know, they're like yeah yeah hooks that people can hang their hat on while they're listening and they can hear oh yeah that that does make sense that's a good connection now I understand sure. that thinking because. Here's Marx with a guy who had a vision for the future, and most churches today don't. Yeah. <laughs> but he's, he's, he's borrowing the Christian worldview. We know that. Yeah, right. Right. So what do we do with that? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think it's been my experience that that's a really effective form of teaching, the one where, the one where you're explicit about saying, I'm not saying this, I am saying this over here, and I want you to understand why this other option can't be right. And to me, I think the more succinct and the more straightforward you can you can present that antithesis, I, th I think that's a very powerful way of getting your message across. It strikes me that way anyway. Uh, the other the other thing that I had written down that I kind of wanted to bounce off you and see what you thought, uh, as I have listened to sermons from Rush Dooney and read, you know, some of his sermons have been recorded in written form as well. And what I have seen, he he really is what we call an expository preacher. He he really does kind of go verse by verse and line by line. And But I think the thing that he did that a lot of people are surprised at is the question and answer period at the end of his sermons. And, and that challenges me. And I've, I've really made a concerted effort to start doing that whenever I preach or teach. And uh, I've run into some pastors who, when they hear that, are kind of dubious about that. Like, oh, I would never do that. And it uh, it just kind of seems to me, if, you, if you're standing up in front of people and you're trying to explain this concept, you really ought to welcome their questions. That ought to be a sign that you're being effective somehow, <laughs> that they're really thinking about what you're saying. And... and I don't know. I just think there's a lot of fear in pulpits. A lot of the pastors that I uh, run up against and kind of try to fellowship with, there's a surprising amount of fear among evangelical pastors out there yes. that they'll be found out. People will realize how little they know. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's, I should, that's something we've been doing 
gathering format. You know, we have some liturgical aspects, like we're, we've, we've been going through the Heidelberg Catechism. I think that's really good. And yeah. one thing we wanted to add, because we always want the form to match our function, and one of the things we added was that Q&A discussion time. Yeah, right. But, but for me, before I say that, like what you're describing, I, I've, I've heard that too from many pastors. They don't want to sort of open that door. And I think it really feeds into this erroneous view of, you know, pastors are on this higher spiritual plane. <laughs> right. And, right. you know, we've been locked up in, in our study all week and we've come down and descended down the mountain. <laughs> right. And, and <laughs> now see our face glowing as we deliver our message. Exactly. I was just reading and uh, listening in Exodus today while I was driving. That, that passage was there. So it made me think of that. Like that idea of this professionalism, and and it's almost like a weakness if you were to give yourself, you right. know, open yourself up like that. But no. What we found at Crossing Crown is like it's just it's a great discussion point of you know furthering what was there. It's it's less about oh how can I pick apart the pastor's sermon, right? It's it's just more about here are some concepts like how do we deal with this now? What do we do with this? How do we? That's right. Right. You know, make it applicable. And I think that is some of the most fruitful time for us. Yeah, exactly. And another question I'll ask if uh, at the end when I open it like that, I'll ask them if you don't have a question, uh, maybe you'd like to share something that the Holy Spirit laid on your heart while this was being discussed. And uh, just because of the theory that the Holy Spirit is actually indwelling everybody that's hearing the sermon. And it's really very arrogant to believe that I'm the only one that that God may be communicating something to about these things. And uh, uh, to me, it's it's about body life and what's the Holy Spirit doing in you and share that because the rest of us need to hear that. And uh, I think it, I think it really speaks to it really overlaps with the issue that we've been having in terms of servant leadership versus authority based on institutions. And what's the pastor there to do? How are you How are you going to serve? And I think a lot of these folks that are more institutional, it's what you're saying, that, that by shutting everybody up and making them just listen, or the only time you can speak is when we've written your responsive uh, thing in the bulletin or something. I, I just feel like that's a way of protecting that institutional power. And, and the servant teacher is the one who's going to be interested in you know, tell me what you're thinking about this so we can work through this together and, and let's get this done. And to me, it's much more exciting that way. Yeah, and being willing to even beforehand, because like, like I, I mentioned earlier, like all the men, we like to get together and fellowship and pray for each other. And, right. You know, just our iron sharp and iron. And they all know what we're going to talk about or, yeah. you know, and I... And a lot, sometimes we'll, you know, we'll get into it. Sometimes we don't. That's okay. But, but it's not supposed to be, I'm the professional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's more of a community. <laughs> like, it's, not, it's, a, it's sort of the, um, the synagogue model. Yeah. For real. For real. That's true. Synagogues were central places for political discussion, for arbitration, you know, and settling, you know, complaints against one another. Right. It's uh... supposed to be that. A community center is what it was. 
Well, very good. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long. If I was in your time zone, I would be thinking it's way past my bedtime. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to let you go. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. But we, I, yeah, I, Thinking there's a whole lot more that could be said, but yeah, I think maybe for another day. Exactly. I'm I'm really happy to just kind of get the conversation going. I don't I don't feel like we've given the definitive answer to the question about how should reconstruction reconstruct the sermon, but I'm really happy that we're able to kind of get get that ball rolling a little bit. Thank you for joining me. Absolutely, brother. It's good to good to chat with you some more. All right, I'm going to let you go. Thank you, and uh, and we'll talk to you again later. God bless. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.